Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. So today we're talking about the shield of faith and the armor of God, but before we do, uh, I'm going to take a few minutes to, to do a, a very, very short teaching on baptisms. Um, the reason I want to do this is because we're, uh, we're excited. We have six people signed up to be baptized. Uh, so far, every single year, somebody has signed up the day of. So that is a week from today. It's not too late at all to sign up for that. So we do that in the, the Allegheny River. Uh, I have directions, and we'll pass these out next week. Uh, but it's at the end of Colbert Avenue in, uh, in Oil City. Someone has a property there with a pavilion, and we make this kind of a church family celebration. So we want you to come out whether you're getting baptized or not. We do a potluck picnic. The church provides uh, a cake to celebrate. We provide the chicken. If you're able to provide a side, bring that along with you. Uh, and then we just celebrate together. We have baptisms, and then we eat, and we have uh, some yard games. So that's my favorite day uh, every single year. Uh, but very quickly, for those who are being baptized, for those who are maybe considering it, for maybe you haven't thought of it at all, we're just going to talk about the meaning of baptism, why we get baptized. And I could give you many reasons why we get baptized. The only one you need to know is because Jesus Christ instructed it. Uh, when he gave the Great Commission, he said, Go into all the nations of the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, biblically, uh, this is just something that we do following our decision for Jesus Christ. And what does it mean? First of all, uh, it is a public declaration of a personal decision. Uh, so when you get married, uh, you invite as many people as you can so you can get more presents from them, but also <laughs> so that they will celebrate with you, right? This is a celebration but actually, legally, that's not why they're there. They're at your wedding because they're actually witnesses to what's taking place. This is what's taking place in baptisms. We invite people to celebrate, but what's actually taking place is people are witnessing you as you declare your decision to follow Jesus Christ, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's an important step in our faith because Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 10 that whoever acknowledges him before men, he'll acknowledge before the Father, but whoever denies him before men, he'll deny before the Father. So this is a public step, uh, a demonstration of our faith. Secondly, it is a public de demonstration of identifying with Christ in his burial and resurrection. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote that, that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. When we go down into the water, we are identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. And when we come up out of the water, we are identifying with his resurrection. Uh, next, baptism is a physical image of your new spiritual reality. So again, biblically, baptism takes place immediately following your decision to follow Jesus Christ. And the imagery in baptism is meant to reflect what is taking place inside of you spiritually. So most, most basically in baptism, when you place your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. And we see an image of this uh, when Ananias baptizes Paul in the book of Acts. In chapter twenty-two, sixteen, he says to Paul upon his conversion, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, 
and wash your sins away. That's what the imagery is. You're being baptized. Your sins are being washed away. We find the same imagery in 2 Kings with a man named Naaman who had leprosy. We find the same imagery actually in the story of Moses when they enter into the water and they cross the Red Sea. They enter into the water as slaves. They exit the water as free men in Jesus, or not in Jesus Christ, essentially, but in God. They are free men. So they enter into the water one way. They come out of the water another way. They step out from death to life in freedom. And then finally, baptism is a celebration, not an obligation. So that's kind of the four points of baptism. When are we baptized? Biblically, right upon coming to Christ. Uh, in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 38, uh, Peter presents the gospel and he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41 just simply says, Those who accepted his message, those who accepted the gospel, were baptized. It was just the response to accepting the gospel. I received the gospel, I believe the gospel, then I'm baptized. And uh, if we look at uh, Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, we kind of find the same thing. Philip presents the gospel, and the eunuch doesn't even hear about baptism. He just says, hey, there's some water. What's stopping us from being baptized right now? So it was the response to the gospel. And then finally, how were we baptized? And we baptize here by immersion, by full immersion uh, in the water, because this is the biblical model. When Jesus was baptized, the Bible says he went down into the water, came up out of the water. Uh, when the eunuch was baptized, he went down into the water. He came up out of the water. And in fact, if we just look at the word used in the New Te Testament for baptism, it means to immerse or to fully submerge. submerge. Uh, if a, a ship sunk in the water, they used the word it was baptized. It was fully submerged in the water. So um, this is also why we don't do infant baptisms here because the biblical model, again, is it's the decision of the believer. If you come up to me and you say, my child needs to be baptized, I'm going to say, does your child want to be baptized? Because it's the decision of the one who's received Christ. So my encouragement to you is maybe uh, you, were, you were sprinkled as an infant, but you've never made that decision yourself. Uh, make the decision yourself. Publicly declare your faith for Jesus Christ. Even if you've been a believer for decades, but never been baptized, this is an awesome opportunity for that. So... The mini-sermon is out of the way. All right, we're going to go back, back into our, our current series. Uh, if you do want to be baptized, just talk to me after service again, and we'll get you set up for that. So uh, we're going to go back into our series on the armor of God. This is our fourth week in the series. Uh, and the, the essence of this series uh, is that the battle that we face, the struggle we face, is not so much physical as it is spiritual. So much of what we perceive to be physical in nature when we look around our culture and, and, and the atmosphere that we are in, we perceive it as physical, but actually it's spiritual. So what Paul says is we need to don spiritual batter, uh, battle for a spiritual, or, or spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. I'll get there eventually. But um, uh, so far in this series, we've looked at the belt of truth. The belt of truth was the, the, the piece of armor that is essential to the rest of the armor because it holds everything else together. You can have as much faith as you want, but if it's not in truth, your faith is in vain. So the belt of truth is central to the armor. Second, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness and how protecting your heart with righteousness was so key. 
Uh, Finally, we looked at the shoes of the gospel of peace, how uh, the shoes were for the purpose of stability and the purpose of mobility. So we have the gospel, we stand strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we take it with us everywhere we go. Now after those three, we have a transition of sorts into the next three, and I want us to look at that together in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. We're kind of starting from the beginning. Paul says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now before we jump into the topic of faith here, what I want to do is look at a few things in the language and in the symbolism that Paul is using And the first is in the language. So if we go back to verse 14, what we notice is when Paul is talking about the first three pieces of armor, he's talking about it in the past tense. He says, you've buckled on the the belt of truth. If you go on to the next verse, uh, he says that we are fitted, we have been fitted with the gospel of peace. These things have already taken place. But when we move to verse 16, he changes his tense and he says, now that you have been fitted and you've been buckled and you've already put on all of this armor, now what we're going to do is we're going to take up the shield of faith. He moves from the past to the present saying, now that you've done that, you should have already done that. Now we're going to do this. You're wearing the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now take up the shield of faith. And the reason that Paul changes his language here is actually very simple because it's consistent with how Roman soldiers operated in that time. And what I mean by that is if we take the first three pieces of the the armor of God, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, these were pieces of the armor that were never removed if a soldier was on duty. The next three pieces, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, are all pieces that the soldier would take up as he's heading into the battle. So if you consider a soldier maybe sitting down for a meal, he wouldn't eat wearing his helmet, holding a shield in one hand, holding a sword in the other. You can't eat if your hands are full, uh, unless you're my oldest son. But most people can't eat when their hands are full. But if we're going into battle... We take up our helmet, we take up our shield, we take up our sword. We are transitioning at this point into the armor of God as the battle is now ensuing. What we're finding here is now we are actually headed into combat, to spiritual combat. And the first thing that Paul says we're going to take up as we head out the door into combat is called the shield of faith. So what I want to do is talk for a moment now about the shield itself. Uh, We want to remember that Paul is a prisoner in Rome as he's writing this this epistle. And and as a prisoner in Rome, he is almost certainly taking his inspiration for all of this writing based on the, the Roman soldiers who are guarding him. So we've been looking in this series at the armor of the first century Roman soldier, and we're, we're going to continue that today because when we think of soldiers and their shields, uh, too often we think of something like this, 
that, that they have this little small shield that they're going into battle with. Um, I bought this because Emily was getting so mad at me all the time. I let the kids borrow it sometimes. But um, that couldn't be further from the truth of what the Bible is talking about with the shield of faith. I have, I have an image of what we're talking about here. The actual shield that Paul would have been visualizing was called a scutum. Um, we have a lot of images and descriptions of the shield in Roman literature. But from my understanding, this is the only one that's ever been found in archaeological excavations. So only one has ever been found. You're looking at a picture of it right now. They were three to four feet tall. Uh, they were one to three feet wide and weighed over 20 pounds. So uh, they were made of three sheets of wood that were glued together. And then after it was glued together, it was covered with canvas and leather. Now, why was it covered in leather uh, after it was bound together? Because prior to going into battle, uh, they would actually take the shield covered in leather and they would saturate it in water. And what would happen is the leather would soak up all of the water and then it becomes even more heavy. But they did this because there's a common tactic in warfare of that era where the archers would take the, the bows and the arrows and they would light the arrow on fire and they would shoot it at the, the, the opponent, at the enemy. So the idea here was uh, we soak the shield in water that's intended to prevent the shield from engulfing in flames if it was hit by one of these arrows. Now, that's interesting because uh, what we know of the shield and what we know of this era of combat is actually, it lines up perfectly with what Paul wrote in verse 16. Because he said, uh, in addition to this, we take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The reason he said that is because that was a common tactic at that time and that's the purpose of the shield, is you dip it in water to put out the, the fire. Now, uh, that's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out to you is the shape of the, the shield. Uh, this shield was actually designed so that Roman soldiers could form what was called a testudo formation, which is a word that means tortoise. So, Greg, if you'll put that picture on the screen. Uh, we have a lot of images, again, throughout history, and this is what that formation looked like, where they would take this shield and they would form what they called the tortoise. Now, in this formation, Roman soldiers would join their shields together, uh, and it, it was almost this impenetrable wall, and they would actually use it to advance against enemy armies. It would be so hard to, to penetrate, and I, I don't want you to miss what I just said, because when we think of the shield we almost always think of it as a defensive weapon. But what they would actually do is join the shields together and they would use them to advance on enemy forces. So, so the, the shield was actually an offensive tactic. Now, if we, we kind of step back and we consider the full armor of God, the full suit of armor that we've covered to this point, there are two important elements in the design of the Roman suit of armor that we can't miss. One of those we talked about a few weeks ago, and that's how, by design, the armor doesn't provide very much protection on the back at all. It's designed in such a way that it, you would be discouraged from turning around and running from the battle because you make yourself susceptible to the arrows and, and anything that's coming from behind you. So they designed the armor so that you wouldn't want to run. By the very design of the armor, we are encouraged, don't run from the battle. But now, by the very design of the armor, we are encouraged, don't go off and fight on your own. 
They actually designed these shields in such a way that you would not want to go fight someone by yourself. Soldiers were encouraged to fight alongside others, to fight in unison, to look out for one another. And Solomon, considered one of the wisest men in history, wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said, remember that two are better than one. If one falls down, the other can help him. And in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, he said, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. They're, they're talking about the, the power of unity, of joining together in these battles. So, so one of the, the most important functions we see here, I don't want you to miss, is one of the most important functions of the church. Uh, you are not intended to go through life alone. You're not intended to go through your struggles alone. You're not intended to go through your battles alone. And just to get another misconception uh, out of the way, placing your faith in Christ is not a get-out-of-struggles-free card. Uh, Paul doesn't say, put on the full armor of God so that you'll never be attacked. He doesn't say, take up your shield of faith so that the Emily... So that Emily... <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. He says... Uh, we're just going to pray and be done. <laughs> he says, uh, don't take up the, he doesn't say, take up the shield of faith so that the enemy will stop shooting arrows at you. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the battle comes your way, you'll be able to stand firm. So that the, when the enemy is shooting these arrows at you, you'll be able to extinguish them. The armor of God, God is designed so that you can stand firm in the midst of this spiritual battle. But it's also there as a reminder that you should never stand alone. Uh, and, and that's a message for two crowds this morning. The first crowd is those who, who might be here and you're in the thick of it. When I talk about flaming arrows of the evil one, I don't need to explain to you any further what I'm talking about. Uh, you're dealing with it this morning. Maybe it's depression or addiction or anxiety or doubt. Uh, don't miss this. The armor of God is designed to help us stand firm in the battle, but it's designed to remind you, don't go off and fight this battle alone. Now, let someone know what's going on with you. Let someone in on your struggles. Let someone pray with you and hold up your arms and stand with you in the battle. Um, one of the things that, that really exploded in church circles as a result of the pandemic a few years ago uh, is there was an explosion of the online streaming of church. Uh, and in many ways, we do this as well. It's a great blessing in many ways. Um, a single message for, from our church has the potential of reaching thousands of people now. Uh, and we actually receive feedback from people who watch our messages regularly from Florida, uh, Georgia, uh, Michigan, California, Washington State, and as far away as Japan. But an un un unintended side effect that churches around the world are facing uh, is many, many believers have become accustomed to online church. Uh, and the online church for many people has replaced the in-person church. The problem with this is the same problem that we have with social media. You think that you're connected, but you're actually not. If you go on my social media, I have a thousand friends, but actually I don't. So we watch church online, and we think that we're connected with fellow believers. But actually, as soon as the service ends, we're isolated again. Now, to be honest, I, I'm not certain that we have anyone that fits this description. I suspect that we do. And, and what I would just say is, is, I'm so glad that you're watching. 
But don't neglect the gathering of God's people because we, we need to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with people who will encourage us and, and walk through uh, life struggles with us, who will be there for us. So I mentioned that I'm speaking to two crowds here. Uh, the first is those who are in the midst of the battle. The second of those uh, is those who maybe you're not. Now, simply because you don't feel like you're struggling, that, that you're not battling, doesn't mean that you don't have a place in the battle because Paul said that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, rejoice we should grieve with those who grieve uh, in other words if you're not in the thick of it there might be someone next to you who is who could really use your encouragement and you helping them through this time uh, so finally I want to look at why Paul uses faith in the imagery of the shield why does Paul say that it's the shield of faith what is it protecting us from well it's, it's the, the fiery arrows of the evil one Paul says uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6 um, that, that he is specifically referring to the arrows of Satan himself. He calls them the evil one. And we know biblically that Satan's two methods of attack primarily are accusations and deception. So one example of using this shield might be uh, when Satan attacks your identity in Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about how this was a core feature of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul was hammering and hammering identity into the people, who you are in Christ. Throughout Ephesians, he says, remember, you are holy and blameless and covered with God's love. You're adopted as God's children. Our sins have been taken away and we've been forgiven. We're marked with the Holy Spirit. We're raised up with Christ in glory. We're his workmanship. We're brought near to God we can come with freedom and confidence you have a calling in Christ Jesus so for many the fiery darts of the evil one come and they say you're not actually forgiven what you did this week is unforgivable you're not actually called are you kidding me with your past you think you're called and what we have to do at times is take up a shield of faith and say I have to trust that God is there and that God forgives me and that God calls me. It takes faith. Sometimes it's only by faith that we can accept and believe in these things. Now, the challenge is our faith wavers. Uh, we have good days, we have bad days, and if our faith wavers, then that would make this really the only piece in the armor with the potential to waver or to fail. Because truth doesn't waver uh, despite what culture is telling us right now, truth does not waver, righteousness doesn't, the gospel doesn't change, salvation doesn't change, God's word doesn't change. So why do we have this one part in the armor that, that seemingly depends on us? Uh, and I would answer that by saying I don't think we do. Uh, I think there's actually a better translation of this passage of scripture uh, because we're talking about the armor of God here. It's God's truth, and it's even His righteousness. It's His gospel. It's His salvation. And I don't think the shield is so much about our faith as it is His faithfulness. Uh, the word used in, in the Greek language for faith is, is pistis, which uh, can be translated either way. It can mean faith or it can mean faithfulness. And one of the things that Paul does consistently with the armor of God, Renee, if you would come, uh, consistently with the armor of God is, is he draws the imagery of the armor of God from the Old Testament. So in Isaiah 59, Isaiah talks about the breastplate of righteousness, and Paul draws from that. Again, in Isaiah 59, uh, Isaiah talks about the, the helmet of salvation. Paul draws directly from that. 
And I think here with the shield, I believe Paul is actually pulling directly from another Old Testament passage in uh, Psalm chapter 91. Beginning in verse 1, uh, he writes, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Then he says this in verse 4, He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be shield so when Satan is attacking with these flaming arrows it's not so much our wavering faith as it is God's unwavering faithfulness whatever it is we face we face we can trust the fact that God has always been faithful always in fact, the Bible says for him not to be faithful is to deny who he is. And one of the things, you can stand with me, church. One of the things that, that I mentioned is Satan's tactic, the Bible says, is accusations. And I just see this passage of Scripture as, as Satan is throwing everything he has about your identity and who you are, and you're not good enough, and, and you messed up too much. But what we have is a shield in front of us that we can stand on, that we can hold and say, I have the faithfulness of God. I have a God who will never lay me aside. A God who, who will leave the 99 to come after me. I have that kind of faithfulness. The Bible says, even if I leave him, even if I'm unfaithful, he cannot be unfaithful to me because it denies who he is. And Satan will come at you and, and, and he'll say, no, you are unfaithful to him this week. He's not going to be faithful to you. We have a shield and we say, no, I stand on the faithfulness of God. recognize that some of us in this place are in the thick of it. We're dealing with doubt and we're dealing with anxiety and so many truths about who you say we are that they're being attacked, God. this morning for anyone because I can tell you don't go through this alone don't go through life alone and then I can send you on your way and maybe you really need to talk to someone this morning about what's going on in your life I want to make that available to you so I'm here after service and we're going to have a prayer team here in the back if there is anything going on that you need prayer for that you just need to talk about My prayer and my hope is that we can be a church that puts our shields together and that we protect one another 
Lord Jesus, we, we invite you again just, just to move in this place. Holy Spirit, move on every heart. Church, as Renee leads us, if you need prayer for anything at all, just step to the back. Lord, this morning we do stand in your faithfulness. I pray you help us to, to trust you. this place that you use us for your kingdom, for your glory, that we have opportunities to share your truth, to share your gospel, and that we take full advantage of those, that your Holy Spirit would give us boldness, Lord, as we leave this place. Pray in Jesus' name. All right, if anyone wants to get baptized next week or you're thinking about it but not sure, just talk to me, uh, and uh, we'll have directions next week. Remember, if you're able to bring a side and let's just all celebrate together. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.